minds with the chip inside I can link and digitize that which prior to this was higher than science could ever devise This is a neural interface, we're gonna stick it in your face Still it in your brain and interlace There's an arms war on and we're gonna win the race Leave everything a race, bring the base Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Now, this is a special edition of DMB Tonight, uh, sharing a recording of a talk at the previous DEF CON Biohacking Village. And we're sharing this as a recap of great information that was presented and as a reminder that the same team behind DCBHV We'll be putting together another edition of DEF CON Biohacking Village here in just a couple weeks. August 9th through 12th, 2018 in Las Vegas, Nevada at Caesars Palace and at the Flamingo this year. For more information, please go to villageb.io and for more information about DEF CON itself, go to defcon.org. We look forward to seeing you there. And the, great, and the great talks and panels and the expo floor. But before we share this great clips with you, we want to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com. Now, if you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of the Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us through email at info at DangerousMinds.io and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. So this talk is about genetic engineering for fun and profit. It's not in? It's a, okay. Uh, okay, can everyone hear me now? Okay, cool. <laughs> so this is about genetic engineering um, and at, as a biohacker or with uh, it kind of, hold on, get it back, okay, <laughs> I think this is uh, not a good connection, Yeah. Have one in my Okay. <laughs> okay. I think I have one in my backpack. I have an adapter just like that. Yeah. Oh. Should I get the other? Okay. Well, we'll use this for now then. <laughs> Okay, so why would we do citizen science and DIY bio? Oh, sorry. <laughs> so in, uh, in academia, uh, you can do science and bioscience, but the thing with that is that your principal investigator, who's some professor with a lot of experience, kind of directs what you're allowed to do. So if you want to do your own thing, you really can't without convincing other people. And even the PI had to get a grant or something to uh, do the research that they're doing. So the other route is to, you know, get venture capital or, you know, get a corporation to kind of buy into your idea. But for that, the idea has to be something that you can convince other people that it's profitable or worthwhile doing that type of research. And um, so basically, if, if, you're, if you're just curious about biology or just want to just do research for the sake of research, you really have to do it yourself. And that's kind of how the citizen science uh, biohacking came about. Um, so uh, the thing is, currently to develop a new drug, it's $2 billion dollars just to do all the government regulatory stuff. So a corporations are not doing research anymore on like novel 
antibiotics or novel ways of uh, treating a disease. They're, they're kind of taking the safe route and they only want to develop drugs based on existing things that they, that they know work. So there's a space for citizen scientists to kind of research new concepts and new ideas. Um, so that's a reason for um, why you might want to do citizen science. And yeah, also as, as hackers, you know, the hacker ethics exist, which I think our culture has, which is the idea of sharing, openness, you know, decentralization, uh, making the world a better place. So, you know, DIY bio can definitely play a role in, in, in helping that. So the types of things that DIY biologists can do, or biohackers, is we can modify bacteria, fungi, or plants, and get them to produce proteins or even molecular devices, um, molecular machines even, or even do computation. Uh, there's been work done on getting, uh, you know, computer gates like AND and NOT gates uh, to work inside cells. So the field of synthetic biology is kind of growing because of these uh, abilities. Um, the other thing is you can find new species out there that may be undiscovered because, you know, there's some mushroom growing somewhere and nobody's actually looked at it to see if it's a new species because a lot of them look the same. And what I found out is that you can actually find new species of mushrooms quite easily because they're like everywhere and they haven't all been cataloged. So there are people who are doing that and they're finding new species all the time. The other thing you can do is, uh, and there was a group that did this in New York, that they went to restaurants to check whether they were actually getting the fish that they were that they thought they were getting, and it turned out that in a lot of cases it wasn't. Uh, so maybe it wasn't. If it didn't taste like salmon, maybe it wasn't. So the other thing is you can uh, search for you know make new discoveries or you know find new antibiotics even, and uh, it's actually quite easy to you know, get a sample of something and see whether it has antibiotic properties. Um, the other thing is uh, negative results. You know, in academia or in, publish, in the publishing world, they don't want to hear that, oh, something didn't work. But in the DIY bio, I found that, you know, people want to know things that don't work so they don't end up trying all this stuff and then it doesn't work. So... Um, that's one thing that's kind of uh, more present in, uh, you know, in the biohacker community. So what kinds of things we can't do is like create a zombie virus. You know, it's actually very difficult to create a zombie virus. And there are all these enemy countries that are trying and they haven't been able to do it because the properties that you need to have in a... a complex virus like that is very difficult. And nature is actually also trying to, to, you know, make a perfect virus through evolution, and it hasn't been able to do it because our immune systems are actually quite good in the, the way it's, it's set up, that our populations and all have, like, diverse mechanisms of Im immunity. So there's no disease actually still found that... Uh, uh, that all humans are susceptible to. So like even HIV, there are people with mutations that um, can that aren't affected by it. So um, the other thing is uh, it shouldn't be overhyped that oh, some biohacker is going to come up with a cure of ca for cancer or some disease because, you know, some of those are over-promises and so you shouldn't necessarily buy into th that stuff. But... You can definitely do good research. Um, the other thing is uh, you do need to, you know, follow the law <laughs> and be ethical if you're doing any type of, you know, bio research. And there are basic biosafety principles like uh, Keone mentioned in the previous talk, like 
you don't work with anything danger, any dangerous pathogens. And you also make sure that your lab, that the lab that you're working in, is fully compliant with the biosafety level that are out there. So if you're just working with bacteria, you can do it, do it in a BSL level one uh, lab. That's when I say bacteria, I mean like safe bacteria that are like E. coli. E. coli is pretty common, and that you can do it in a BSL level one lab because E. coli is actually found everywhere. So it's not going to be dangerous to play with that. And then if you want to do stuff with like mammalian cells, then you have to go up to BSL level two um, because mammalian cells can actually act as a host to um, viruses that affect humans. Um, so you, if, if, you, if you have a like a sample somewhere and you sneeze on it, it can, you can put the cold virus in that sample and then it can like spread. So that's why you need to have uh, extra precautions if you're working with mammalian cells. Um, so what is genetic engineering exactly? Um, it's basically we're modifying the DNA inside an organism to give it new properties that we want, whether it's resistance to uh, pesticides, able to survive drought conditions, and actually this plant there, this is actually what corn comes from. Before the, uh, it wasn't genetically modified on the DNA level, but um, basically the pre-Aztec civilizations in Mexico, they took this plant and did artificial selection, breeding, and hybrid, hybridization with other similar species, and they developed corn which looks completely different from, from this plant. And this plant is called Teosinte. So um, that's not really... So, so the next step beyond this was, is happening now with GMO corn is to actually insert genes specifically that we want to have in it. Um, instead of, you know, when you do a hybridization or even artificial selection, you're not being very specific and you're like uh, expecting nature to do what you want, and that's kind of difficult. Um, so what is DNA exactly? It, it's basically the protein encoding system of life, and every cell contains DNA, and the DNA is used to make all the proteins that a cell needs, and when it divides, it makes a copy of its DNA and gives it to its offspring or you know, next generation. Um, the other, so DNA makes proteins, and the proteins are you can kind of compared to like Lego blocks in which you can build molecular machines out of it. Um, and these uh, proteins are a chain of molecules called amino acids, and these amino acids have different properties. So you can build a structure with that, that structure is going to have uh, certain properties like the ability to bind to something or fit into something. Um, and it can also be used as, as a machine that can process other uh, chemicals that are in the cell. So a uh, little more detail about what uh, the DNA strand consists of. So there are these uh, nucleobase molecules uh, that um, form a duplex structure of basically two strands um, that contain uh, the four base molecules of DNA, which are A, T, C, and G. Um, and the sequence at which they uh, exist define the properties that the protein that it's going to make will have. And it also um, specifies how much of the protein is going to be made and when, uh, because um, there are things called uh, polymerases, which kind of act on the DNA and, and copy it or make uh, or help in making the proteins from it. Um, so each three letters of DNA specify one of 23 different amino acids. So um, the 
so these amino acids, like one example is glycine, which is flexible. So if we want to connect two proteins together, we can make a linker out of uh, glycine and attach the two proteins so that they won't affect each other. So one reason you might want to do that is if you have a, uh, if you want to tag a protein with fluorescence without affecting its property, but you want to see where that protein is going or what it's doing, you can attach uh, it with a linker. And then uh, within these uh, DNA, we can see patterns in there that are repeated through nature. Um, for example, like uh, if you recognize a specific sequence, we can tell that it might be uh, forming a structure called a beta hairpin or HNH, which is an endonuclease that cuts DNA. So if you're looking at a DNA sequence and you look at the amino, corresponding amino acid sequence, you can actually analyze it and kind of guess at what this protein might be doing by looking at those motifs. Um, the other thing is that DNA has this uh, phosphate backbone, um, which kind of provides it with a negative charge. And because of that, we can actually separate out DNA uh, by strand length by having it run across a gel. So if you see up here, we load our samples of DNA and uh, have an electric current uh, positive over here. And the DNA will slowly move towards this. And if the DNA strand is long, it'll move slower than if the DNA strand is short. So we can see here, this is a, basically a shorter uh, strand than the one down here. And this one consists of multiple strands, and the, the sh shorter strand is up here. And that has a number of different uses too. Um, the other thing we want to do with DNA is to find out the sequence of it to identify whether what, what a particular gene is or whether a particular sequence exists in an organism. Um, currently, this costs uh, about $1,000 to sequence, uh, sorry, about $3,000 to sequence a full human. But in the next few years, it's going to drop below $1,000 and then maybe even $100, below $100 by 2025. Um, that'll open up a lot of possibilities. Um, so basically, it's cost pennies to figure out a DNA sequence of something. Um, the other thing is that we can make DNA ourselves. Uh, well, companies are out there that can do it, and they cost about 30 cents per base pair. So each letter of the DNA uh, that you need made you know, is very cheap. So you can get a long strand or maybe even a full gene for like under $100. Um, so I'm just, um, so what we want to do is basically modify the organism by interacting with its cells. So we put the DNA inside the cell of the organism and these cells, um, you can have single cell organisms like bacteria or you can have multicellular organisms like people or plants. Um, and they all use DNA and they all follow the same code. So a particular sequence of DNA will always produce the same amino acid chain, regardless of if it's in bacteria or in uh, humans. So that's a very cool property of DNA that uh, is very helpful. Um, and these, when we modify cells, we can get them to do stuff and we can basically hack them. You know, we can hack, hack their signaling pathways. Uh, we can hack how they communicate to, with each other, you know, and even hook into um, their signals to make it, to make their signals uh, inter act the way, or activate things that we want to activate. Um, yeah, so uh, one type of uh, molecular machine that's in the inside cells is called a polymerase. And this polymerase um, is attracted to certain DNA sequences. 
So um, when we we can actually put a put our own sequence of DNA inside the cell and use that promoter sequence to get our DNA to be expressed. And so when you have a thing called a plasmid, you make sure it has a promoter on it so that the protein gets read. And the other thing is these promoters um, can be activated only in the presence of some other substance. So you can activate it at will by providing the cell with a particular chemical, and that'll activate the promoter and uh, perform the function. And so um, a cool thing is that the uh, cells themselves contain machines that we can actually use for our purposes. So for example, restriction enzymes, they cut DNA at a specific sequence. Um, and so the bacteria's own DNA doesn't have uh, the sequence that the restriction enzyme will cut, but if it's infected with a virus, it can cut that virus's DNA because it uh, has this uh, restriction enzyme that'll just cut it up and then it's protected. Uh, the other thing that protects cells is the cell membrane. And, you know, the cell membrane is sort of like a filter to only allow certain uh, molecules in. The other thing that cells do is DNA repair and uh, error correction. When the DNA breaks, the cells actually can repair that. And we can actually use that mechanism to put in our own pieces of DNA into the cell's genome. So um, the other thing that DNA, uh, that bacteria like to do is transformation, which is they like to take uh, DNA from their environment and actually express it. And see, it's, it's, it's a type of survival mechanism in that they want to gain, because sometimes uh, other bacteria that was in their environment might have resistance to something that the, that the bacteria might find useful. So it's, it basically likes to click on everything and see what it's useful, what it's used for, or whether it's useful. Um, that's also a good thing because that allows us to shove in our DNA that we want the bacteria to, to use. Um, the other thing is it has this thing called CRISPR-Cas9, um, which um, you can basically use that to cut a specific sequence of DNA that you specify. And it does, it uses that to detect whether a phage that it had seen before is, whether it encounters it again, it, it, it allows it to like adapt to that phage so that next time it instantly attacks it. So to do genetic modification, we synthesize a strand of DNA that specifies the code that we want. Then we insert the, the strand into a cell. The cell will make copies of that strand that will stay within the cell whenever it replicates. So that way you can produce a large quantity. Um, so if you wanted to do this, the first thing you would do is order some DNA. But um, I'll just show you kind of what that process might involve. So you can go on uh, this website called NCBI, which contains the DNA sequence of many organisms out there. So right here, um, I've specified this uh, Renilla luciferin, um, which basically uh, helps uh, sea urchins glow. So it's like it provides bioluminescence. So when we search for that, the sequence for it comes up here. Um, and we can just copy this sequence literally and paste it into a site that will accompany that. will synthesize the DNA for us. So we just paste it in there, and uh, then the next step, it, it makes you promise that it's not a toxin or viral DNA, and it also, <laughs> yeah, it, but it also does its check to, uh, it has a database of known viral sequences that it checks for, and, and toxins that, you have a question?
Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they have something a Monsanto patent checking tool or something, but uh, it, it basically the only questions it asks are: is it is it a toxin? Is it you know viral sequence? And it also checks. It doesn't just believe you. It also checks. So, um, but yeah, I don't know about whether it checks for whether is this a patented sequence. I doubt it, though. So. So the thing is, uh, in DIY bio, we like to use bacteria for you know creating proteins because they grow very easily, and uh, their chromosome is not protected by a nucleus. So when you insert stuff in there and you want it to get into the chromosome, it's it's fairly easy in comparison to eukaryotic cells. The only disadvantage is that the proteins um, are not modified after they're created the same way that they're modified inside uh, cells of complex organisms. So, but the um, bacteria are pretty awesome because they actually have a lot of uh, enzymes and things that we can use. So some of the technology we stole from bacteria is this idea of uh, plasmids, which they exchange DNA material amongst each other through this plasmid. And by studying the plasmids uh, in the 50s, uh, it was kind of figured out that what you need to have in a ring of DNA, the, uh, an important thing is called the origin of replication. That tells the, the bacteria cells uh, machines uh, to make copies of this DNA strand. So by modifying this sequence, you can, you can play around with how many copies of the plasmid are going to exist inside the bacteria, and you know whether it's copied or how many of those copies are there. So that's useful if you want to regulate uh, how much protein you're producing. The other thing you need to have is a promoter, which um, is what the bacterial polymerase uh, will attach to to produce the gene. So we have a promoter here, and this promoter is uh, in this particular plasmid, activated by a sugar called arabinose. So when the, when the, in the presence of arabinose, the structure of the polymerase changes so that it gets a binding affinity to this sequence of DNA, this particular uh, coding sequence. It's a short sequence. And then the polymerase attaches there and then starts making the gene. Uh, basically, it copies the uh, gene from DNA to RNA and then the RNA is turned into a protein. So to do transformation, we basically create a, a plasmid containing the gene of the protein we want. Like it could be like banana flavor. Uh, insulin is made this way, actually. You can design a biosensor that uh, can be produced in the bacteria. And uh, the other thing that we want to include in our, um, uh, in our plasmid is resistance to an antibiotic drug. So this one is ampicillin. Um, and what that does is it allows us to separate the bacteria that um, took our plasmid from the ones that weren't. So when we add an antibiotic there, all the bacteria that didn't take our plasmid into it get killed. So the only ones that survive have our antibiotic. And we only use uh, antibiotics that are not commonly used in society. So like chloramphenicol is a, an antibiotic that um, used to be used in, I guess, the 60s, but it's no longer prescribed. So we don't have the issue of if this bacteria gets out, what's going to happen. Um, the, we can use electricity or chemicals to basically alter the cell wall. Um, or modify the charge on the cell wall so that the, the cell membrane, so that uh, pores kind of open up and that allows DNA to slip in. And you can do that with electricity or chemicals, even ultrasound works. And you can use like a jewelry cleaner ultrasonic box to do that. And so it's very, you can do it very cheaply. Um, so this kind of shows what, once you've done the transformation, you get this little, you, you have a small Petri dish that you've poured the mix on, and you'll see little dots, which are colonies of bacteria. And you can just select, pick one of the dots, the colonies, 
and put it into a liquid growth media. And then you put it into this uh, incubator, which basically shakes it at the temperature that the bacteria like to live. So for E. coli, it's 37 degrees. So eukaryotic cells, uh, their DNA is protected by a nucleus. Um, so you have to do other, uh, so it's, it's a bit harder to um, work with it, but you can, it's, it's not that much harder. Um, the other th cool thing about the eukaryotic cells is that they modify the protein after it's made, so the proteins can uh, have, uh, I guess, more complex features. Um, so we can also modify plant uh, genes, and there's actually a, a bacteria called Agrobacterium uh, tumorphaciens that uh, has evolved to be able to do this. So it contains a plasmid in it already that it, when it infects a plant, it shoots this plasmid into the plant so that the plant uh, produces the nutrients that the bacteria need to survive. So what we can do is basically take this plasmid and cut out some of its uh, genes and put in the genes that we want to put into the, pla into the plant. Then we put this plasmid into uh, the uh, agrobacterium, and the agrobacterium uh, will infect the plant and insert this plasmid into it. Um, so this left border flanking regions kind of uh, help, help the gene cassette kind of get inserted into the plant. The only thing is it's fairly random because this gene could end up anywhere in the genome of the plant. So there are some issues with that. Is there a question? Uh, so it actually injects it, and it, it uh, so it's a bacteria, not not a virus. So it it sits on the the the, the plant uh, surface, and creates an in, injects like uh, dissolves the cell wall or modifies it slightly, so that it um, can shoot things into it. So it uh, injects this plasmid into it. So it it uh, it doesn't need reverse transcriptase because. This is an actual strand of DNA already. So once it's in the, once it's in the plant cell, the plant uh, cell will copy it because it has this origin of replication. So it'll, the plant cell will think, oh, I need to make copies of this. It'll make a bunch of copies of this. And then uh, it'll also incorporate this region in, into its genome. So, um, a new tool that's emerged in the last few years is CRISPR-Cas9, which allows us to break DNA in a specific location. And then when it's broken in a specific location, uh, if we have another strand of DNAs floating around with a similar flanking region on the side, uh, the cell is going to think it's part of its own DNA got broken, and it'll basically try to repair itself by inserting the, the, the gene that you introduced into the cell. So it's a very useful tool for making targeted genomic modifications. And the cool thing is that you can buy this protein for $65 from uh, AdGene. Um, I think we're kind of out of time. I actually uh, had a much more stuff to go. Five minutes. Okay. Um, so PCR, uh, I think Keone kind of talked about this where is if you have a small amount of DNA uh, and you want to make large uh, copies of a segment of that in a large quantity, what you do is you create a thing called a primer, which is a short DNA sequence that exists near the segment that you want to make copies of, and you attach, you um, basically use that with a thing called, a, with a polymerase, a polymerase is just something that uh, uses a template of DNA or RNA and makes uh, copies of that, either DNA or RNA. So basically, you um, use this polymerase with the primer. It, uh, it'll separate the, the strands and make copies, and you have, you have a large quantity of it. So you can then use that to detect, uh, uh, you know, it's used in forensics, for example. The FBI will use it to see if uh, a crime scene contains a person's DNA. 
Um, so the FBI actually has 13 markers in the human genome uh, that they look for, which are short tandem repeats. So it's a small, it's like four letters of DNA, but they're repeated like hundreds of times in a particular region. So these are our chromosomes, and these are the locations. So um, if you could modify your DNA and change this location, and if you're in this database, you would be able to get past that. Or something you could do is create small, I don't know if this would work, so if it works and you get arrested, you could create uh, your own DNA, you can make DNA that contains the short tandem repeat sequence of someone that you don't like and put that at a crime scene and when they sequence that, when they look for these markers, they'll see DNA with these markers around there. And I don't know if that'll really work properly, so, but <laughs> that's a possibility. Uh, yeah, so this is kind of when they separate by strand, so those tandem repeats will be different for each person. So if you uh, run it on this gel, each person at the specified location will have a different number of repeats, and you can look at it with a gel. Um, a way of finding novel antibiotics, you can basically spread bacteria on a Petri dish and then put a small drop of you know, leaf extract or some substance you found that you want to see if, it has, if it's antibiotic. You can test it that way. Uh, another thing is you can make milk proteins without cows in using yeast. So you basically take the, the gene sequence of a cow, synthesize that, make a plasmid, put it into the yeast, and the yeast will produce uh, milk proteins. So, and here are some resources for citizen science. Uh, Arcturus BioCloud Genome Compiler. The Odin, you can get uh, good supplies there. Keone talked about them. Synbiota. Uh, Benchling has some good software tools. IndieBio actually sponsors people with good ideas. Uh, they, they give out like $250,000 uh, if you have a good company that you want to develop. Hmm? Yeah, I can make them available. Yeah. So ordering stuff. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, adgene.org contains plasmids already, and there's thousands of plasmids that they have that contain fluorescent proteins, proteins that do anything that you can imagine. Well, many, almost anything. Uh, so adgene.org is a very good site. Uh, the Odin is actually a good site for biohackers because it's kind of specific for getting you up to speed on uh, DIY bio. Uh, for buying things like restriction enzymes, uh, there's New England Biolabs. Uh, I just put it as NEB, but it's New England Biolabs. Uh, for doing bacterial transformation, you can get the kits from uh, Clone Tech, the Odin, Zymo Research. Reagents, you can buy from this location it's here. DNA, you know, GenScript, IDT. So I kind of give a little plug for, I, I know the, the owner there, and he's a nice guy. Okay, and here are some hacker spaces that you can join, and they can help you with doing the stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of, uh, hopefully will give you an intro to getting started with this stuff. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, any... Uh, you cannot necessarily test it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Because it might be doing something bad. Uh, <laughs> you have to go through a FDA. Uh, so any other questions? Or I think we're... Pardon? Uh, who knew? Yeah. Uh, is that just data sets? So, 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 
um, well, there's actually the Pandey, uh, there's a data set from a professor at Stanford and now he's at UCSF. His name is Atul Butte, B-U-T-T-E. Um, first name A-T-U-L. And he's got a lot of uh, data that you can mine through and find, especially for cancer. Yeah, and, okay. Uh, question? Oh, yeah, Hive Bio, yes, they're very good ones. Yeah. Okay. Okay, uh, let me just put this. There. I just put it up there now. <laughs> yeah. Probably nothing, or maybe a huge difference. <laughs> well, like something like GFP, you might get lucky and make it uh, brighter than it than it already is. And you know, there are versions of green fluorescent protein that you found in nature, and people have actually modified it, made little changes here and there, and made it glow brighter or have a different color. So it was green fluorescent protein, and now there's red fluorescent protein, there's blue fluorescent protein, and those are all done by just making small changes in the DNA and seeing what, what happens. Right. Yeah, so if they're not like following safety rules or something, they can get kicked out of the lab and that ha in very rare cases, in like really, yeah, uh, people who, everyone would agree that these people should not be, it's mostly people who don't know what they're doing, and they're not really following the safety protocols and, you know, making mistakes. So, yeah, another Yeah. Um, not as far as I, I know, but I mean, you might, some protein modification is not that easy. So an amateur wouldn't be able to really do it. And somebody is well resourced, they can do it other ways. So, um, but yeah, it is, it might be theoretically possible to, you know, make little alterations in the, in the gene. But I think for an overall sequence, they can, figure out that, you know, it's 90% similar, so, hey, you're probably trying to make this, uh, you know. Uh, so you just get the CRISPR plasmid, create a guide RNA with the sequence that you want to, to be cut, and then you have to do a transformation to insert that plasmid into, uh, you know, you, doing it in bacteria is not that, uh, great of an idea because bacteria anyway have uh, homologous homology directed uh, repair in which if you basically put a strand of DNA with a matching flanking sequence it'll incorporate it into into the bacteria's chromosome with that flanking sequence you know wherever that flanking sequence match so you can yeah Yeah, so if you make a novel compound or like a biosensor that might have a use. So, you know, there are people working on different ideas like, you know, GMO, uh, maybe a plant that is resistant to some particular condition. You know, maybe it can grow in like the desert because you've given it, uh, you know, the ability to retain water efficiently. Yeah. So for small sequences, sometimes you might be needing it for something. I, I, wouldn't, I don't know if it's unethical, 
it might be useless to just put in a sequence that you came up with. But if you're intelligent about it and you looked at the structure of the protein and you're saying you want to modify this particular part of the protein because you know it contains a, a motif that you're familiar with, like, you know, it might have like a RUV-C, which is like an endonuclease motif, and you, you want to eliminate that motif, or you can basically modify it and put it in and create it that way. You had a question? Yeah. Um, so it, uh, doing an agrobacterium transformation, it's not too involved. Uh, it would take hours of your time, but then preparing the experiment might take m more time. But then you have to wait for the plant to grow if you're doing it to the, you know, uh, germline. But if you're just changing, say, part of the plant, like maybe the leaf, uh, you can use a thing called a gene gun, which is expensive if you buy it, but you can actually build one for about $80, and it can actually shoot DNA into the plant cell, and uh, then it'll, so if, so if you want the leaf to be glowing, you just uh, create this plasmid that contains the GFP or whatever, and then you uh, shoot it with the gene gun. You could you you could do it by eyesight, I guess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just basically has a CO two cartridge that, of you know, you you have your DNA on small beads and it just shoots the beads through the cell wall. You know, some of them go right through. Some of them might bounce off. I don't know. But as long as a few get in, you know, you you're you're okay. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, in what, to what extent? Because if it's just creating one protein or something, yes. Um, but making like a plant that contain has like limbs or something <laughs> that might be difficult because we still can't even uh, create uh, you know regenerate limbs uh, on on the same organism you know so it's it's, it's, it's these things are not that easy. They, uh, like jellyfish gene, like the that's the that's the green fluorescent protein. Yeah, so that. It's just one gene, one protein. So, it you know, it's like saying, "Oh, I don't want uh, tomato genes in my corn, right?" But then you eat corn and tomatoes at the same time, and it's not killing you. <laughs> so, uh, it, yeah, it's slightly different example, but yeah, yeah. Uh, stigma of oh I see like right. yeah right yeah, so um, I think your question is like, when we say we're biohackers, do pe the, does the general public, you know, um, see us negatively because of the negative connotations that might be attached to the word hacker? Right. Y yeah, right. Um, to some extent, but, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's same as, you know, when you say you're, 
you know, a hacker, kind of like people might see it negatively, but that's why a lot of people try to say they're citizen scientists or doing practicing DIY biology. So that's a, that might have a more positive uh, frame. So if you want to tell someone that you're a biohacker and you think that they might not like that term, you can say, I'm a citizen scientist. So. Right. Um, yeah, so people have this negative uh, stigma about, you know, you're changing the genes of an organism, you know. Uh, but actually, we've been uh, manipulating life or organisms for like thousands of years. Like the, I showed the, the corn plant. So that's not the only example. There's, there's rice, there's domesticated animals. Basically, we've made them dependent on humans because of farming and artificial selection and, you know, hy hybridization. So I think you have another question. Okay, I think, okay. So I'll answer it in another place. Yeah. Thank you, John. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Special thanks to the team at the DEF CON Biohacking Village for sharing this recording with us. Now remember, if you're able to make it out to Las Vegas, Nevada for DEF CON in August 2018, it'll be well worth the trip. For the panels and the topics covers are just a small portion of the action. With the activities and networking available with the other attendees is the true payoff. Now, get more information about uh, Biohacking Village. Again, go to villageb.io. That is our new website for this year. So take a look. At the schedule is up. And more information about new, uh, exciting new changes this year are on the website now live. So you are loyal listeners. If you'd like to know more about the journey we take weekly, check out the DMP homepage, dangerousminds.io, or go to Facebook forward slash Dangerous Minds Podcast. And please keep in mind that uh, events like these are listed on the DMP Google Calendar. And if you have an event that you would like to add to it, please feel free to email us or send it to us on Facebook, and we'll be glad to add it to it. Now, all of us want to thank you uh, for joining us as we explore further the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of biohacking, grinding, and implantable technology today. If you well, like the programming we share and the work we're doing in the community, please feel free to support us by going to our Patreon page, becoming a supporter at www.patreon.com forward slash dangerous minds. Please feel free to reach out to us questions or comments, and perhaps we might one day talk to you about the work and our projects you're exploring and or developing. Until next time, seek the spark. Scientific progression is steamrolling, there's no preventing it going ahead Now we're intrinsically linked with technology, biology as we know it is dead